gather up your best regalia. We're all strutting by azaleas, party in that hot house round the block. <laughs> oh, shuffle on up for our greenhouse stomp. Yeah, there's dancers prancing by the pew. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fashion History with American Duchess. Woo! I'm Lauren. And I'm Abby. And we're coming to you from Harlem in New York. New York. Uh, so if you hear some, like, fire engines and whatnot in the background, uh, we apologize. Now, for some nice tunes, that was Dandy Wellington, Greenhouse Stop for our little jingle coming in to this episode. You can find him on Facebook and Instagram at Dandy Wellington. So today we have a very, very special guest and a repeat guest. Yay! Um, who we are honored to talk to. It is Cheney McKnight. Hi, Cheney! Hi, Cheney! Hi, ladies! <laughs> thank you so much for having me back. Yay! It's awesome to have you back. And thank you for feeding us today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, I threw a little something together. <laughs> so before we get started, Chaney, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with Not Your Mama's History for those listening at home who might not have heard our first episode with you? Okay. Um, so first things first, I interpret history. I'm usually uh, dressed up in 18th or 19th century clothing, and I go to historical sites and interact with people. Mm -hmm. um, I also do hearth cooking, but... <clears throat> so I also consult on ex exhibits, so mm -hmm. uh, people bring me up in and they ask me, um, does this exhibit make sense? Mm -hmm. Also, I'm kind of like a proofreader. Okay. Uh, before they go live, they bring me in and mm -hmm. they ask, is this offensive? Mm -hmm. um, again, like a proofreader. And uh, I like to say that um, sometimes it is a yes and sometimes <laughs> it's, a, it's a green, it's a go, you're a go. Um, but... Each experience that I have, I always try to take something away from it so mm -hmm. um, that I could teach more people. Um, I also do uh, performance art, mm. um, and I try to use performance art around New York to try to get people to think deeper about slavery. About slavery. Mm -hmm. um, also humanize people mm -hmm. uh, and being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah, to yeah. practice empathy. Oh, what an idea. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's work on empathy, everybody. Uh, so, yeah, um, we wanted to talk to you today to kind of continue um, discussing enslaved people uh, uh, in the Americas and their dress, because it's not something that gets talked about very often. Uh, but your episode's actually... I, yeah, it's the most popular, the most popular yeah. episode we've ever done. So congratulations. Uh, um, but uh, Thank you all for the platform um, and allowing me to really talk my heart out yeah. <laughs> onto your radio waves. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome to listen to you. It's always just, I'm always speechless yeah. whenever we talk. But today we wanted to talk about hair and head wraps of enslaved people in colonial and late 18th century America. So we're going to go right up to about 1800, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So with that, um, before we get into hair and head wraps, for those of you listening at home, if you have not heard Taney's first episode uh, with us, it's one of the first episodes we ever put out. I think it's episode four. Mm -hmm. I think three, three or four. Three or yeah. four. Um, go ahead and give that a listen first, because Taney goes through the basics of slavery, uh, the numbers behind slavery, and kind of will lay some excellent groundwork to this episode. But for those of you who don't want to go listen to that hour first and just want to get right into this one, can we go yeah. through some of the numbers? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to uh, keep it pretty basic. So at the, uh, by the mid 18th century, right before the um, Revolutionary War, there are around 500,000 um, enslaved persons um, in America. Because there's two different numbers. So okay. um, there are Africans mm -hmm. um, and then enslaved Africans, a part of that, and then also free. Um, but there are 500,000 enslaved Africans here in America 
by the middle of the 18th century. And that's about a fifth of the population. So that is not anything to laugh at. Um, Now, we know that there's a bit of tension between uh, the colonists Mm -hmm. and and England because of this and Mm -hmm. the crown. uh, Because they're starting to look around. They're starting to look to the Sugar Islands, the West Indies. And they're asking themselves... Oh, what's happening over there? <laughs> and um, there's there's starting to be revolts. They're looking mm-hmm. at Haiti, mm-hmm. and that's a very uh, toward the end yeah. um, of the 18th century, and that's really a shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're starting to ask, maybe we should put an end to the slave trade. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not saying an end to slavery, yeah, just to the slave trade. So we're seeing some of that tension mm-hmm. playing out. Now, uh, 40% of the population um, in the South um, is made of, of, of enslaved persons. Mm-hmm. 40%. 40%. Now, uh, Charleston uh, has the largest enslaved okay. population um, of a city. New York is actually second. Wow. Really? Uh, New York City is second, uh, has the second largest enslaved population, which is shocking um, yeah. when I could. I feel like a lot of people don't realize mm-hmm. that the New England states, the it's colonies, <laughs> the, states, <laughs> geez, um, <laughs> the North, essentially, that they were active in the slave trade and they were active in slavery. They might have mm-hmm. ended it and abolished mm-hmm. it earlier. earlier and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they were active participants. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of focus on... Um, the mid-19th century, slavery in the mid-19th century, without a lot of attention given to Mm -hmm. what led up to that moment in history, Mm -hmm. that slavery was always in the colonies from the the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, which is is a bit mental. So tell us a little bit more about Mm -hmm. this. So 18th century uh, slavery is a completely... Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 18th century slavery is a completely different beast Mm -hmm. um it's in the north and the south um there are different laws during this period also the way in which people look at slavery is different Mm. um in the 19th century um people uh, specifically in the South um, believe that uh, slavery was good and just and good for the African. Um, in the 18th century, it was considered to be a necessary evil. Hmm. Um, so a completely different ideal. Oh, wow. <laughs> completely different ideology um, around wow. slavery. Sounds like a, a center of propaganda leading Absolutely. up to 1750 yeah. to 1850s, mm-hmm. 60s or so. So at the turn of the uh, 19th century, we see um, a changing of language around, mm-hmm. around slavery. Um, and it completely changes the la- landscape and how people are talking about slavery and how political they're mm-hmm. arranging themselves around slavery. Also, the tension between the North and South um, around slavery um, is changing mm-hmm. toward the end of the 18th century. Um, we're also seeing um, up North um, that they had slavery longer than they didn't have slavery. Mm. So it's just a very small portion. So let's look here in New York. Slavery ended in 1827. But uh, slavery nationwide um, emancipation was in uh, officially 1865. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1864 for some people, 1865 for good measure. Um, So that's only a very small slice of time when you're looking all the way back to the 17th century yeah. here specifically in New York. So mm-hmm. when people look at slavery, they view it a lot as North versus South. Yeah. And also understand, have to understand that the North did profit from it as yeah. well, just as much as the South. Yeah. It always makes me think of, this is my musical nerd coming out, <laughs> but in 1776, there's mm-hmm. a song molasses to rum to slaves. Yes. And because the South Carolina uh, congressman, he's calling out the Northerners for their hypocrisy when it comes Absolutely. to that. It's 
in my opinion, probably the most powerful song. Um, but yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's one of those things people don't think about it being mm -hmm. in the North. They only think about it being in the South. Absolutely. So, so a lot of a large portion of the population in the Americas <laughs> were enslaved people. That's something we cannot forget about. Absolutely. So before we get into hairstyles and head wraps in 18th century Americas, uh, let's, if you're up for it, going back to Africa uh, to kind of lay the groundwork for the importance of hair in the African community, how that would transfer over to, to the African community in the America colony, American colonies, and just kind of lay, lay that foundation yeah, for give us. Give us some, some context. Yeah. So to start with, Africa has hundreds of ethno-linguistic groups, and um, they have their own dialects, languages, religions, customs, and it'd be very similar to going around Europe. And uh, you go 50 miles this way, and they're speaking a different language, and they are wearing different clothing, um, and they have different customs. They, some people eat this way, and others eat <laughs> another certain food. Now, um, we know that each group has different grooming techniques, um, and they mean something. Mm. Um, some some ethno-linguistic groups, uh, the, when, when you're a girl, you wear your hair a certain way. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. I can keep talking. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. It's yeah. New York. <laughs> we know that, um, we know that some women in certain groups wear their hair a certain way when they're children and when they're unmarried. Mm -hmm. And then once they're married, it completely changes their hair. And um, this is quite common. And each group will have something different to mm -hmm. signify um, coming into womanhood. Wow. Um, we also have different ways in which they're wrapping their hair as well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, some, some groups women who tie their hair on the right side it may signify that they are married or single or um, a widow mm -hmm. and this all um, means something and this grooming it takes time and it takes tools mm. um, the main tool of course you've probably seen before is a pick just mm. a simple pick um, but there's also butters and creams and oils and plants and nuts that they're using to get a certain type of texture or um, get a certain type of look. And um, these are all passed down okay. uh, from generation to generation. So it's just, I mean, it's pretty it's like, it's straightforward and it's, and it's not, it's, it's such an integral part mm -hmm. of, of each community and each mm -hmm. group. And Absolutely. it's a social thing. It's communicating Absolutely. your position within the society. Absolutely. And it's a very important part of uh, a person's identity. Yes. Absolutely. So let's talk about what happens when these people have been kidnapped mm -hmm. and they've been taken to the fort mm -hmm. to be sold into slavery mm -hmm. and taken away from Africa. Okay. Um, so by this point, um, when they're put into uh, the fort, depending on how long they're there, mm -hmm. um, their hair may be shorn before. Mm -hmm. okay. um, we have documentation earlier on that some people keep are able to keep their hair uh, through the journey, but um, a lot do have their hair shorn off. Um, for a few reasons. Um, number one, just cleanliness. Mm -hmm. um, they're not able to be bathed um, as frequently. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, they're not able to, um, they're not able to groom themselves as, as much as they usually are able to in mm -hmm. their communities. Um, and, and then it's also a cultural aspect, just um, erasing those identifying marks. Mm -hmm. um, if you were to walk around, uh, let's say, 16th century West Africa, yeah, 
and you're looking around at different ethno groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you may look at um, the Igbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may look at the Yoruba. You may look at the Akan. You can look at them and say, I know where you're from. I know who your people are just by looking at their hair mm-hmm. or a head covering or even markings on the skin. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they're going to want to do is to erase all those markings. Mm-hmm. And shorning the hair is one way. It's a part of the dehumanization process. Absolutely. It's turning them from individuals and a culture and a people Absolutely. into product, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, And this happened to men and women, too, correct? Yes, absolutely. So there's also that weird gender issue, too. Um, I think um, it, it, it would have been a big deal, even though um, certain groups in Africa, the women have short hair mm-hmm. or long hair, and the men have short hair or long hair. But to create a reality where both men and women have the exact same um, hair cu- cut uh, would have also been a bit humiliating mm-hmm. um, both ways. Yeah. Um, but in uh, it's part of the dehumanization as you're mm-hmm. talking. And before we started recording, this does veer away a bit from, from hair, but I think it's an important part of telling the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were telling me how they would actually organize mm-hmm. uh, these people on, on the slave ships mm-hmm. that there was a certain order to how they arranged them again, as a part of this dehumanization process Mm -hmm. and and going back to what you're saying about Mm -hmm. how diverse Africa was when it comes to, to groups. Um, so the earlier ships, um, usually we also have to go further back Mm -hmm. and how these people are actually being sold to Europeans. Um, the, they're, they're being sold by other uh, groups um, they're probably at war with them and who they're selling are the warriors um, and so uh, Europeans caught on uh, quite swiftly realizing that they have entire army units in the belly mm-hmm. of their ships and um, that's very dangerous mm-hmm. um, so they start to realize uh, it's probably smart to mix people up Uh, So they're trying to make sure that people who are are in different groups are next to each other. So when you call out, you probably won't be able to understand anyone around you. Mm. Um, But I think this was also a very significant part of coming to America uh, because you forge these bonds. You don't know these people. Um, They're probably, uh, some of these people laying next to each other are probably sworn enemies. Yeah. Their groups are probably fighting each other. But when you go through a horrific experience like that, something happens Mm. when you cry out in the night and Mm. it is the person who you don't know next to you. Uh, who maybe grabs your hand or even touches you mm-hmm. uh, and and gives you that comfort, something is forged there. Mm. Um, and I think that that is a marked experience of African-Americans. They went on that boat as strangers, but on the other side, they left as family. Mm. There's wow. no way other than to leave a horrific experience. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I, I get very desensitized to it because I, I talk about I talk about it a lot but the the first time the first time seeing um seeing those rows and um realizing that you realize that you're alone and then you call out and being in a horrific experience like that and saying, where are we? What's happening? Where's my family? Can someone help me? I'm hungry. 
I have to use the restroom and we're just chained like this and to call out and someone and no one understands who you are. That must have been horrific. That must have been horrifying. And then finally to have someone, anyone reach out and just touch you or um, to even on your own accord, even just lean on the person next to you and feel that skin contact. That must have been transformative and a link in the dark in this horrible situation and any any spark of kindness anything yeah would have been would have been the most important thing in your life at that moment absolutely yeah and just thinking about being in that situation it's something that we today it's not really even fathomable because it's so horrific and it's so traumatizing just to try and put yourself in that situation. Um, I th- so, yeah, I think we definitely, um, I think everyone has heard of the slave ships and, mm-hmm. um, but no one just stops and thinks about how would that experience have been for you? You were stripped of all your identity. You're stripped of your clothes that would have identified you as family. It would have, they would have stripped you of your hair and your jewelry and um, maybe uh, the coloring on your skin that mm-hmm. you maybe rub some colors. Some ethno-linguistic groups rub uh, certain pigments on their skin. They would have washed you of all that. And then just simply not being able to talk to someone. And just, I think, even having experiences in New York City mm-hmm. I, I was robbed last week <laughs> and just having people other people come up to me and say it's going to be okay mm-hmm. um, this happened to me before or I'm here for you um, yeah. I just not equating that with the middle passage but the humanity aspect yes the yeah. humanity aspect being able to talk to someone and them understand you and say I'm here we're experiencing this together. Yeah. I think that would have been the worst part. Mm, by far. Yeah. yeah. So what for those who actually even survived the journey, mm-hmm. they are then taken, they're sold, they're purchased, mm-hmm. and they find themselves now on property with other enslaved individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I guess it's, yeah, going into that discussion mm-hmm. and now the concept yeah. of hair within the enslaved communities on farms and plantations in the city um, mm-hmm. and how, how they dealt with this. Um, so it all depended on uh, where you were, mm-hmm. uh, who owned you. Um, so if uh, someone was purchased by... Um, let's say a fine man in mm-hmm. Williamsburg, um, <laughs> who is a Virginia gentry, um, and they're working in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have their owner would determine a lot of what they're wearing, how they're keeping their hair, how they're presenting themselves, because that is part of the image that their owner would want to put forward. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in other places, um, maybe further out on farms, on large plantations in the middle of nowhere, um, there isn't as much, especially if you're working out in the fields, there isn't so much leaning on. You have to look this certain way because we'll have guests coming and they'll, Mm -hmm. um, so they have more uh, freedom to uh, determine how they're looking toward the outward community. Mm -hmm. Um, But also limited is simply time. Mm -hmm. They don't have the time anymore for the grooming practices. And I showed you some pictures earlier um, of just how much work would go into some of these elaborate um, styles of braiding. Some of them is braiding, corn rolling and twist all in one hairstyle um, and then pinned up in a elaborate twist yeah. and that takes hours. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have that 
freedom anymore. They don't have that amount of time on their hands. So they're trying to adapt the best way they can. Mm-hmm. And uh, one way I found was um, head wraps. Okay. Um, I found that um, uh, some, depending on where, um, some by the late 18th century are wearing uh, head wraps quite a bit, especially Mm -hmm. out in the fields. Um, I find in the cities, um, they're also wearing uh, caps, simply caps. Yeah. Um, And I'm not sure if, uh, I'm quite sure that it may have been at the um, behest of their owner. Yeah. Um, but I'm also seeing like in this image. Yeah. We have, um, Pierre Morlo mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, the woman is wearing a white turban here. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier about, um, in Africa, the different headdress that was being worn there mm-hmm. with, um, the knots and mm-hmm. twists on one side or the other side are the enslaved people bringing when they're wearing the head wraps in America, are they bringing those styles with them mm-hmm. or are they developing kind of their own, uh, unique head wraps for the cleanliness issue? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it both? Are they influencing each other as well for people mm-hmm. from different tribes? Um, I think, uh, it is a lot of things coming in, uh, to play here. Um, Number one, um, I think it's uh, simply utilitarian. Um, They don't have the time or the resources. Uh, So one thing, they don't have the grooming uh, Mm -hmm. utensils that they had before. Um, They don't have the ingredients that they needed before. Eventually, they'll find different ingredients. Mm -hmm. Um, But by this point, they're using probably things like lard, lanolin, uh, nut oils, um, anything that they can use um, on the hair to hydrate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also to use it to style it as well. Um, but they're also bringing they're bringing with them some of the styles. Um, but this also gets lost a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see a lot of significance put on um, new people coming in from Africa, African-born people um, who are coming in. They have a certain place in the community at this point, especially to those who are two to three generations in by this point. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't remember or know certain things. Yes, some things are being passed down, but you also have to realize that these are these are probably uh, four or five. Sorry, there. These are probably four or five different ethno-linguistic groups in one family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get mixed together. Some things are lost. Some things are kept. Um, just like any experience here mm-hmm. in America, um, you may bring in some customs, and then by the third generation, you've lost half of them. Uh, yes, they're also um, they're also developing styles um, on their own, and that is one thing that really fascinates me, um, especially going into the 19th century. Um, mm-hmm. The variations between plantations and regions, um, and then you could get into some of the laws uh, that influence um, certain styles as well. So, do you? Is there a particular style that you can that you know was developed as a result of this? So on a plantation, kind of what you just is there something particular that we might be able to mm-hmm. visually identify with today? Uh, yes. Okay. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is this image that Colonial William, a painting that Colonial Williamsburg owns. It's called The Old Plantation by John Ross. And we'll have this on yeah. the the blog post for this. I think we actually have this one for the first episode too. Yes, it's, yeah. one, of, it's one of my favorites. Um, and it's 1785, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that you see is that um, most of the women are wearing very similar styles of head wraps. Yeah. Um, but one thing that's really influencing them um, is they have very similar cloth 
Um, most certainly the clothing that they're wearing is Negro cloth, mm. um, which would have been very cheap cloth, um, kind of itchy, um, not the best I'm actually um, wearing Negro oh, yeah. cloth today. Oh, you brought a sample of this in last mm-hmm. week. This stuff is so heavy. So yes. it's, a, it's a coarse linen, and mm-hmm. it weighs a ton. Yes. But it's meant to last. Yes, it is, it is quite, <laughs> it is not the most comfortable. Uh, so if you can imagine wearing an entire gown mm. from this stuff, or a jacket and a petticoat yeah. from this stuff. Um, and then... Um, some people, even in the 18th century, are a lot putting in the allotment mm. neckerchiefs and kerchiefs. Um, what I find is that they're using uh, kerchiefs that you mm-hmm. would wear, neckerchiefs that you would wear around your neck, um, as head wraps as well. Mm-hmm. And um, what I, a style from the Caribbean, mm-hmm. this is, uh, you can probably see, her neckerchief matches her head wrap. Okay, and we're talking about the woman in the green, uh, no, or the, the woman, woman in the white. The woman in the white. Okay, um, beside the woman in the green. Okay, so for those of you listening at home, looking at the picture, the woman in white next to the woman in the green. Yes. Okay. Um, and she's wearing the same head wrap, mm. the same color, um, and the same pattern. Um, as her neckerchief, which if you look at some images from uh, the Sugar Islands, from the Mm -hmm. West Indies, um, that was a very popular thing to do, Mm -hmm. matching head wrap and neckerchief. Uh, You know, got your style together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this this may have been um, an allotment. Okay. Or it could have been something that she bought on her own. As a form of expression, style mm-hmm. expression. Absolutely. Okay. But you'll notice that um, they're all wearing similar uh, styles. Mm-hmm. And it can you explain the wrapping process for this? Because mm-hmm. I find this really interesting because we know that, historically speaking, women would cover their hair. Mm-hmm. Regardless of race, women yes. covered their hair mm-hmm. in the 18th century. It was a form of cleanliness as well mm-hmm. as fashion. Mm-hmm. But like you're bringing up this wrapping, mm-hmm. it's not something that you see white women doing until mm-hmm. later. Yes, uh, but enslaved women were wrapping their hair, and it, there's a difference there. Uh, and it, it was a different style. Mm-hmm. Um, both enslaved women and men mm-hmm. are wrapping their hair, so you can see uh, some of the men as well. But um, there are two different uh, styles that I've identified really very commonly in uh, the Ameri- in America. Okay, the rectangle head wrap mm-hmm. um, and just the simple neckerchief. Or okay. kerchief. Um, so the woman in green, she uh-huh. is wearing a um, a rectangle. Okay. So if you were to lay it out, it'd be a strip of uh, rectangular fabric. Um, and the woman to her left mm-hmm. um, is most certainly just um, wearing a, a kerchief. Okay. Would the rectangular piece actually be a man's neckcloth that got assigned to her or allotted to her? you think or do you think it was actually made for this purpose i think that uh it could be made from just any type of scrap fabric we have um accounting of that but i think also um most certainly because i have um actually stolen uh (laughs) neckerchiefs and used the men's neckerchiefs neckcloths and used it as head wraps (laughs) sorry about that (laughs) but it Really it, it worked quite nicely actually do you think it could have been a do you see neckcloths being allotted to women or do you think maybe they're actually swiping them from the men in their lives going i will use this <laughs> I for think, this purpose i think that they're um uh, maybe if there's extra leftover they're mm-hmm. swiping that um i think that they're making them in the same uh, cloth because we know that there are looms yeah. um, on certain plantations and they're simply making them but I do think that they're just swiping old ones <laughs> and uh, because especially uh, when you wrap it if there's a stain or anything that wouldn't have been appropriate for a man to wear um, around the neck um, you can hide that in a head wrap mm-hmm. so definitely I think um, that's very possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over here, we do have a woman who, um, um, in the yellow, okay. um, her hair is actually um, short, and she's wearing 
Um, that's actually the most common style that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in the previous podcast, I brought an image mm-hmm. um, of two women in Lynchburg being an overseer looking over them and both their hair is short. In in the image, you, you show the woman has, has short hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back to what we were talking about earlier when it comes mm-hmm. to, to shaving the heads of, of the kidnapped African people and having them brought over and how hair is such a strong part of the identity. Um, I'm curious if the short hair is something that's applied onto them that they're required to do if it comes out of necessity or, or is it actually something that has just developed as Mm -hmm. a trend Mm -hmm. within the enslaved population in the Americas? Um, Um, I think it's, uh, has a lot of, um, answers to that question. Um, first, uh, shorn hair wasn't, um, as big of a deal in Africa. It would have been quite common. Mm -hmm. Um, but, with some tribes, with uh, some ethnolinguist groups, yeah, um, some would actually have shorn hair for certain purposes, uh, but it most likely would have been done in a certain way. Okay, um, so instead of just like cutting off the hair, um, some have spiritual purposes, some okay. ritualistic. Um, so I think really the for those groups. Um, who did have uh, short hair uh, in that manner, mm-hmm. it would the humiliation factor would come in from it not be doing not being done in the way in which your community does it. Mm. Um, even if you um, cut your hair a certain way um, every single day, but to have it done, yeah, in a certain way, so swiftly with no thought with no care would have been a very big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that they're also um, coming up out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of these women would have been from groups in which they would have had long hair or braided hair. Um, But again, they don't have the time Mm -hmm. uh, to dedicate to grooming techniques. And um, this is, very convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, I do see this very commonly um, in image in images. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the most common um, hairstyle I see. Uh, just uh, maybe an inch, two inches, three inches off the head. Mm-hmm. At this time, do you see braiding at all being worn by enslaved individuals? I believe that braiding would have been uh, very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the diaspora, um, you're not going to see it in images because it would have been used as a protective style. Okay. Um, so it would have been underneath head wraps, mm-hmm. um, and you probably would not have seen it out and about. Um, I don't know. We don't have a lot of. We simply don't have a lot of um, enough images. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen two examples from the West Indies, mm-hmm. I believe. Of women with braided hair? Yes, of women with braided hair out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just simply something that I just don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if it would have been um, specifically uh, prevented. Or um, I know that they're trying to keep down cultural identification marks, um, so they're preventing them from scarf um, from scarifying their children. Mm-hmm. Um, they're directly keeping them from um, teaching um, language and passing language down. Um, so I I could understand them not allowing them to um, wear braids out. Um, but again, that's something I simply don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that we had more uh, concise research on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be very interesting, which leads me, um, if anyone has <laughs> more information on that, specifically braids in the colonial period, yeah, um, please let me know. Yeah, mm-hmm. Interesting to do 
research on runaway ads Mm -hmm. to see if they mention braids, how often they're mentioned, how Mm -hmm. they're described. Because you were showing us a a book and they mentioned Mm -hmm. that hair Mm -hmm. is often referenced in runaway ads. Um, how are they describing it? How are they, how are they using hair to, Mm. to use it as identifiers for someone Mm -hmm. who has, who has escaped? Mm -hmm. So we have a few um, references. What I find most of the time that they refer to hair, Mm -hmm. um, uh, kinky textured hair is wool. They call it wool. Um, the wool is unkempt. Mm -hmm. Um, her wool is, uh, pulled back into a cap. Um, but I've not found um, any references to braids. Mm. Um, actually, um, there's one. Um, he says plaits. She okay. kept them in plaits, but um, he made sure underneath a cap. Okay. And this was Virginia, I believe. It may have been Maryland. Okay. Sorry. I That's can't okay. remember off the top of my head. That's um, <laughs> there's a lot of ads <laughs> right, right. oh so many ads, so many ads. <laughs> um, and um, along that line it's very frustrating mm-hmm. there are very few uh, runaway ads that refer to head wraps interesting you just but you see, see them in images though you see them in images do you think that's because they're identifying I guess what I'm okay hold on let me let me work on forming this question mm-hmm. Is it because when these people were trying to escape, they didn't want to stick out more than what they already do? So would a head wrap be a stronger identification that maybe they were trying to avoid? Or do you think it's just they didn't take the head wrap, they wore the cap, or they Um, had both? But There's... um at least three that I read in here mm-hmm. earlier talking mm-hmm. about head wraps in different yes. spots and stripes. Yeah. So they yes. do mention them. Um, yeah. They do mention them, but it's just so, it's so rare. Yeah. Um, it isn't as common at all. I mm-hmm. think it's because um, you can change. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things is they mention kerchiefs. Mm-hmm. They mention neckerchiefs. And that's why I think that they're using neckerchiefs as head wraps. Um so you can look because, for it, whether it's around your around your neck or on your head. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that um, you can, as far as caps go, um, I think they're wearing caps. But I, I definitely feel like they're, they're changing out. Changing out. They're changing out neckerchiefs. And I don't think that they thought it would have been helpful mm-hmm. to mention it. Um, you'll hear a lot of uh, their dress in the way of the Negro. Mm. Um, so meaning that they're probably wearing Negro cloth or Mm -hmm. a, um, or a blue, um, fabric or something that would have been distinctly identified as, uh, as, uh, as from an enslaved individual. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that head wraps were so very common. If you look here, um, half of them are they're pretty much wearing the exact same head wrap. Mm-hmm. Um, these two women in, and this is from the old plantation. Mm-hmm. These two women have the exact same head wrap on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that would have been quite common across groups. Um, and I think you would have seen a lot of white. I personally like to add a bit of color into mm-hmm. it, but that's really not the most accurate for, um, for the 18th century, um, specifically in city centers, okay. um, you see a lot of um, white neckerchiefs, mm-hmm. a lot of um, like a blue check open there. Yeah. Like yeah. the blue check. Um, and that is a Lindsay Woolsey mm-hmm. neckerchief. I think that would have been most common. So I think when looking at head wraps, I don't think it would have been of note. Unless it would have been something unique. Like spots or stripes. That was an identifier. Yes. Um, So I think someone's already looking for it. Now, they do talk a lot about um, women of mixed heritage, Mm -hmm. of mixed race. Um, They specifically say, um, talk about looser curls. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has a fine head of hair, Mm -hmm. um, long hair. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that may have been specifically because... It would have been very common, okay. a common head wrap. 
Okay. And That's this is also very speculative. Yeah. Well, Again. It, it makes sense when things are stolen or, or you see other sort of ads. They are trying mm-hmm. to identify the person as uniquely as possible mm-hmm. so that way it is easy to identify whether Absolutely. it's someone who's a thief or mm-hmm. an apprentice that's run away or an enslaved person that's run away Absolutely. the way they describe people is so you can spot them yes. so they're not going to spend time identifying things that are obvious they're yes. going to spend time identifying things that are unique Absolutely, so, like a mole or a missing finger scars I, yeah. yeah scars that's what I find a lot of the most interesting um, aspects of that um, and that in itself can tell a very interesting story. Has sometimes very horrific stories. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, how did two of her fingers get cut off? <sighs> I'm going on a tangent. <laughs> Where did like, that you, like when they're just like, oh, uh, she happens to have two fingers missing. The smaller uh, on the on right side of the hand, like. Um, that's purposeful when usually people would during work who get fingers cut off it's these fingers your work fingers mm. but if someone purposely it's these fingers because you still the want them to and the ring finger yeah, yeah because she still wants them to use to be able to work so oh gosh, that's yeah. and through slate runaway ads that's what I figured out um, you can always determine how people lost their fingers based off of which ones. Mm. That's <sighs> Cheney, this is utterly fascinating. Um, so my next question is, were there any laws around head wraps prohibiting them or, um, you know, inhibiting? <laughs> That's kind of the same thing. Uh, but, but for enslaved people, that was sort of uh, laying down some rules for what could be worn and what couldn't be worn? Um, I find one of the biggest myths about, um, about head wraps was that um, there was a large sweeping um, law surrounding head wraps and that black women had to wear head wraps. There are specific instances in which there was a law passed. Um, the most successful out of all of them was what we call today the Tignon mm-hmm. um, laws. Um, and that was in 1786, Louisiana. Uh-huh. Um, Governor Miro uh, passed that law. And that was specifically um, a very common reason is specifically that they're worried about class distinctions. Um, this is the 18th century. Class structure is very important. Um, yes, there's a racial aspect, but more so class. Um, he's starting to see um, these women who were um, part of the um, the the mistress system mm-hmm. within Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, they had mixed heritage and they would be wearing these beautiful plumes in their hair. Um, and they had their hair pinned up in very elaborate and what he referred to as exotic ways. Mm. Um, and he felt like it was very disrespectful um, to the white women um, of the city. Um, and of the colony and it was also very disrespectful to people who he deemed was above their station in life Mm. life and above their class Um, and so that's how he writes this directly into the law he gives his reason so if you all are interested you all can actually go and check that out and he's basically saying (laughs) um, you have to show your class Um, You can't go around pretending that you're better than your station. And you'll see this in other areas. In South Carolina, um, their 1735 law was basically trying to get um, enslaved Africans to dress uh, for their class. Um, I say that the uh, Louisiana law was the most successful because they actually um, followed through with it. Mm. Others, (laughs) Others, <laughs> they tried to pass laws, but uh, clothing was part of the reward uh, punishment system of slavery. It was very interval. 
to uh, to slavery is very important. Um, so giving hand-me-downs that may, to other people, it's highly inappropriate for um, an enslaved person to be going, walking to church dressed better than uh, maybe people of modest means. Mm-hmm. Um, they're quite offended by that, mm-hmm. that someone who is enslaved mm-hmm. is dressed quite finely. I find this really interesting because um, <laughs> it boggles the mind. A, a dark-skinned enslaved person walking to church, a white person sees her or mm-hmm. him and, and suddenly thinks they're, they're higher class than me. Or, I mean, see what I'm saying? Like, it's very obvious that they're an enslaved person. Mm-hmm. So stripping away, just still taking mm-hmm. away the any kind of mm-hmm. enjoyment through clothing and mm-hmm. expression and self-expression under the guise of well, we need to make sure that every you know mm-hmm. people don't rise above their class in the they way know that their they're place. dressing. Yeah. Like they already know their place. Yeah. They they already and know their place. Everyone else does too. Life, right? I mean, it's it's appalling and it's very mm-hmm. confusing. I've been confused into what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. Like, are we still talking about enslaved people here? Yes, that, that's amazing. Another thing that I was thinking of when you were bringing this up, 1786. The hairstyles that were trendy in 1786 for white Western women mm-hmm. are not natural yes. to white <laughs> Western women's hair. And I'm wondering if maybe, and it goes into head wrappings as mm-hmm. well, because that's when you start seeing yeah, turbans, turbans yes. and, and those fun things that really mimic head wrapping that was being done by enslaved people. 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier. Absolutely. And so I, I'm really curious. It's so messed up because I, I, in what you were saying about him, people needing to know their place, you're sitting there and you're saying these women of mixed heritage cannot wear their hair in a fashionable way that mm-hmm. to me is, and, and other research like Anne B. Sonnet hasn't been able to make that mm-hmm. connection that, yes. you know, they were able to go, Oh, look at this hair texture. Mm-hmm. And this style of hair by enslaved women and mimicking it as wealthy, wealthy Western European women. Yes. And they're going, okay, well, the, the, the Western European women are doing this now. So you're not allowed to anymore. So you can't do this. It's just like, what? It's. And I find it very, the timing of it is very interesting yeah. because as you were saying, it was very fashionable. It was. Of the period of. And for these women in Louisiana to um, be openly proud and flaunting their hair mm-hmm. uh, and what their hair could naturally do. Yeah. It was a, um, and you should feel, you should feel shame in your hair. You should feel shame in the fact that you were in this station in life, but they weren't. Yeah, shame. They weren't being shamed. Uh, they also were prevented from wearing plumes <laughs> in their in their hair because you can only imagine how fabulous they were walking out and looking, <laughs> looking. And uh, they were like, "It's kind of like the fun police." Mm-hmm. It's like, nope, no fun for you. Uh, no, and and what joy you can bring out in life and actually working with the texture of your hair and saying, mm-hmm. this is what my hair can do and I'm going to roll with it. And mm-hmm. I find that it's not just women of mixed heritage. It was also, um, African men and African women here in colonial America who was saying, huh, I choose my hair like this and it, I can mimic a wig mm-hmm. and, um, they were finding this out and they were powdering their own hair. They were uh, picking out their hair mm-hmm. uh, to mimic these elaborate wigs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The different mm-hmm. styles. Which then were the elaborate wigs began to mimic them. Yes. Yeah. Very, this very interesting. Um, so and always. this is something that we are going to explore yes. more with you. Mm-hmm. Um, in our second book, Asian Century Beauty, or that's the working title. We don't know if that's what it's going to be called yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, those 
really fascinating connections between natural African or African-American enslaved people's hair mm-hmm. and Western fashion, mm-hmm. whether that was happening in, in mm-hmm. um, the colonies or in Europe or mm-hmm. in you know, France and England, mm-hmm. and kind of which came first and why and who was influencing right. whom and mm-hmm. how it was appropriated and mm-hmm. all of this fun Absolutely. stuff. So very deep subject um, that, that Cheney is going to be writing about. Bless you, Janie. So <laughs> and all I want to do is talk about it right now. Yes. I'm like, I want to talk about this. I'm going to talk about this right don't, now. Don't blow it. Don't blow your ear with your load <laughs> yet. I, 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 it is just so interesting to see these influences. And at first, I didn't I didn't want to touch it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to touch it because... Um, yeah, you and I, I, I brought it up to you, and you kind of looked at me side-eye. Yeah. I was like, Janie, we need to talk about this. I things. was like, girl, people are going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> people being upset about something then it, it, it is that's <laughs> terrifying to me um, but that's why n- nobody handles these subjects as well as you do when you present and it's one of the reasons that we thought that you were better than anybody else to talk about this this uh, particular subject because it is very touchy and it's also quite yeah. a new idea Absolutely. in dress history it is and but it is something i think Again, we're kind of veering off the subject here, mm-hmm. but what I... You can't cut this all yeah, out. Yeah, we need to. But what I find interesting about it is the active conversation we are having as Americans today mm-hmm. of different races when it comes to appropriation of hair and culture yes. within the within the African-American, the black community in America today. It's one of those weird things where history is repeating itself, yes. but the conversation is changing but what was happening then is happening. It's yeah. happening now and we're right. having this conversation. So I so you they can appropriate their hair and then force them to cover to up not, their to, to not, not wear their hair. Yes. Yeah. Because um, now it's the, the hair of white women. Yes. Oh God. So yeah. <laughs> well it's yes. like cornrows versus boxer braids. Like <laughs> not, careful, touching careful. It. <laughs> not touching it. Not touching it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah, it, it, exactly. It's, um, and then to and then later on, things like cornrows, which is a very traditional African hairstyle throughout Sub-Saharan Africa, um, and specifically where I'm studying is West Africa, but I've found it throughout Africa. Um, so these hairstyle later making it feel like if you wear cornrows you're um celebrating um gang culture wait a minute it's oh yes oh yes um there was actually um in a school there i i where i lived in atlanta a school passed a rule in which people couldn't wear cornrows because it was celebrating gang culture which oh, is, I hope they got their ass handed to them. <laughs> Sadly, oh um, it was so slow in the up and the because no one knew the history. Mm. No one knew they even in the African American community. It was just like no. We've always had had uh, cornrows. Yeah. Of course, the older um, older people in the community were just like. No, we've. Oh, I'm pretty sure we've always had cornrows, um, and so being able to finally say, "Here's the research. This is an African hairstyle, and you are being racist <laughs> um, by preventing us from wearing our hair um, in ways that are natural." It's just uh, it's ingrained in your DNA. It's just like it works. For our hair, there are certain yeah. things, there are certain hairstyles that works especially well for kinky, curly hair. Mm-hmm. And cornrows, it's a magical hairstyle that just just does so well um, in kinky hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good for maintenance, it's good for protective hairstyles. And that's what enslaved women were using it for. Cornrow your hair, put a head wrap over it. Um, it also stretches the hair. So come next week, you're going on Sunday, you're going to church, undo your hair, pin up your hair, uh, put a cap on, you're looking cute. 
<laughs> so, yeah, that, that makes total sense. Yeah, and I absolutely, uh, I think that um, being able to identify these things, um, and recently, what I'm trying to do is. Um, express the history, show the history so that uh, African-Americans today can see the tethers to Africa Mm -hmm. because there are these ideas today that African-Americans have no business uh, wearing their hair in West African styles or wearing West African uh, clothing styles when that makes no sense because they brought this over here as well. And in the 18th and 19th century, they were wearing these clothing styles still. They were wearing these hairstyles still. So that makes it African-American as well. Mm -hmm. To me, that's like saying someone who is from German heritage well, you can't go wear a darn doll, you know, Swedish. If if mm-hmm. you're celebrating your Swedish heritage, even if you're several generations back, yes. but you want to wear a folk dress, mm-hmm. like you 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 want to do that because it's connecting to your your ancestors so, and your past, yeah. and and it's a part of who you are in your person. I mean, Jesus, it's so, like everyone who thinks they're Irish in this country, and St. Patrick's <laughs> Day is just like a shit show, you know. <laughs> Ancestry.com beat that one out of my family. (laughs) The illusions were shattered. My mother still does not accept it. Um, There is no Irish in our family. Um, Cheney, this has been utterly amazing. Is there anything else you would like to add about hair and head wraps in the 18th century? Uh, I just want to say that um, there were so many different reasons Uh, for women to wear a head wrap. Um, I would say most of all utilitarian. They lost uh, their ability through time to upkeep their cultural hairstyles. Um, And they had to make do. And make do they did. With head wraps. (laughs) With head wraps. And they used this to express themselves. And um, they expressed themselves in beautiful ways. And each woman had a different way in which she wrapped her hair. Um, Mm -hmm. And she had her own recipe of hair butters Mm -hmm. or creams or putting in different herbs and um, different oils to um, put in her hair. Um, And again, this all depends um, based off of who the owner is, Mm -hmm. um, what type of work they're doing, what type of free time they have. Is it just... Uh, is it just Saturday night that they have this time mm-hmm. or Sunday morning? Um, it all depends and it's case by case. But one thing I see throughout is that they resisted through holding on to their culture. Mm-hmm. Each generation that went by, they lost a little piece of the understanding of uh, why they were doing some of these things, but they held on to the methods. Mm-hmm. And I think that's significant. Um, And I I don't think that's something that should ever be taken away from the African-American community. Um, I would say um, we've all uh, seen Black Panther. Most of us. Not yet. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, no. No, 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 I didn't want to fight the crowds on opening weekend. And she was like, do you want to go? Do you want to go? I was like, no, can we just wait until yes. I get back? Oh, it's yeah. a little quieter. It's, the it, crowds are real. I was in there with two middle school classes. <laughs> it was madness. But I saw a lot of criticism um, from people saying that African-Americans had no business uh, wearing their hair in certain styles. They had no business and wearing some of these... Um, these culturally West African uh, uh, fashions. And I say, why not? Um, I absolutely hope that African-Americans will learn the roots of this, Mm -hmm. but we held on to a lot of our West African traditions, not really knowing, forgetting the reasons why, but we kept the methods and the history shows it. You kept the how. Yes. But right we now, it's a time. It's yeah. figuring out the why. why. And I, I, as a historian, I see it 
every single day when I research it. I see little pieces of West Africa pop up mm-hmm. all through my research. And I just, I just uh, wish that um, my countrymen would also see it. Mm-hmm. That um, just in your culture here today, how African-American culture is today, uh, it has lots of strings of West Africa. And if you pull them, you can find your way back mm-hmm. home. Wow. That's that, well, that's a hell of a wrap up there. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, um, with that though, you have videos on YouTube of yes. different ha- hair wrapping mm-hmm. techniques and head wrapping. Mm-hmm. So obviously since this is a podcast, we don't have that, but we can post links on the blog. Yeah, we can embed of, the videos. Embed yeah. the videos on the YouTube cha- of your YouTube mm-hmm. channel, which is not your mama's history. Yes. And so that way people can see different head wraps that you've, you've, reverse engineered yes um uh, please go check those out Mm -hmm. um i'm putting out some new videos soon so Mm -hmm. also please check those out so yeah cheney that was awesome awesome as always you're amazing um so really really wonderful thank you so much for sitting down with us Mm -hmm. um in your home in new york (laughs) (laughs) with the planes flying over the taxis we got the subway going (laughs) everything i gave them the real harlem experience (laughs) y'all got food (laughs) delicious food It was really, really awesome. Um, And again, Not Your Mama's History class. Not Your Mama's History. (laughs) Not Your Mama's History. Um, Uh And we're going to include Mm -hmm. links and all that, too, Mm -hmm. too, in in the blog post that's going to accompany this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that has been another episode of Fashion History with American Duchess. I'm one of your hosts, Lauren. And I am Abby. And you can find us at AmericanDuchess.com, Facebook.com slash American Duchess, Instagram, American Duchess, Twitter, American Duchess. Our blog is blog.americanduchess.com. You can find Chaney on Not Your Mama's History. She is on Facebook as well as Not Your Mama's Mm -hmm. History. Mm -hmm. You're on Instagram as Not Your Mama's History. Mm -hmm. Are you on Twitter? I'm on... Yes, I'm on Twitter at Mama's History. Ooh, at Mama's History. <laughs> YouTube is not your Mama's History. Yes. The YouTube. And then and you your website. Just, you can come to my website to actually bring me to your site. Yeah. Um, at or your schools. Mm-hmm. Work with the, with yeah. the children. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> okay, until next time, yeah. uh, we are signing off. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.